Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. Thank you, uh, Kyle, Ellie, and everybody. It was a great time of worship. Uh, my name is Brian Henderson. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. And uh, if you're a guest, we want to thank you for joining us and worshiping with us today. We're in the middle of a series called Let Us Pray, where we are looking at the subject of prayer through Scripture. And we're tag-teaming this series a bit by uh, starting off asking a question where an elder, such as myself, will try to answer that question. And then our lead pastor, Joel Owen, will come up and actually teach uh, further on the uh, topic of prayer. So you'll see Joel here in a few minutes. But for the first few minutes, I'm going to try to tackle a question that has come up about prayer. Well, as many of y'all know, this past week, our nation experienced uh, a great tragedy. Once again, we saw in Parkland, Florida, a school shooting, and there were 17 precious lives that were lost. And one of the, one of the responses that, that occurs in these kind of moments is people um, begin to offer their thoughts and prayers. Uh, from all around the country and the world, thoughts and prayers are offered for the, for the victims and their families. And predictably, we see other people offering their critique of those people that are offering their thoughts and prayers. So one of the tweets that I saw, um, I'll show on the screen here, was a guy who said this. He says, hey, another tragic school shooting, 18 just this year. Hey, Congress, your thoughts and prayers aren't working. Try something else, you cowards. And I know that all of his Christians have experienced that same tension of, does prayer really work? So the question we have today is basically, does prayer make a difference? And I can, frankly, I can sympathize with the folks who have these questions because I have, while I've had many prayers answered in my life, I've also had some prayers that have gone seemingly unanswered. I remember as an 11-year-old boy praying that God would save my grandmother after a horrific car accident, and my grandmother didn't make it. And I had to deal with that question, what happened to my prayer? I've had times where I've prayed with, for people who are sick, they're, they're dying of cancer, and I've asked God, I've pleaded for them for healing, and yet I see them not survive or not heal, be healed in the way that I wanted to, them to be healed. And you ask yourself the question, does prayer really work? I can tell you, I've also had many times where prayer does work, but I think these questions, when the, when the unbelieving world or people even in the church ask these questions, it's a very real and legitimate question. Does prayer really make a difference? So, so as I answer that question, does prayer really make a difference, I want to first of all remind us about what prayer is. Prayer is simply, uh, in its most simple form, is having a conversation with God. And Jesus believed in the power of prayer. He practiced it often. We're shown throughout the Gospels how Jesus would often retreat to a quiet place to pray. Believe it or not, do you know that he prayed not only for the disciples, but for all of those who would be following in the disciples' footsteps in the, in the body of faith? He, is, he prayed for you and for me when he walked this earth. That's how much he believed in prayer. Jesus also knew that prayer was a spiritual connection with his heavenly father a connection with the creator of the universe, the God who is the God of all, uh, an ultimate God of mercy and love and justice and peace and healing. Jesus understood that prayer offered perspective. <clears throat> Just to give you an idea, let me show you this for a second. Well, uh, years ago, I was reading about um, some interesting things in science, and one of the illustrations that I came across was that if you could shrink the known universe down to the size of the United States, that the Milky Way galaxy our galaxy, which is over three light years wide, or maybe longer, would fit into the size of this coffee cup. Now, if you took the Milky Way galaxy and you spread it out or shrunk it down to the size of the United States, 
you and I, in our perspective of life, would easily fit inside this coffee cup. So when we talk about praying to the God of the universe, we're praying to a God who has immensely different perspective and understanding than we have. And prayer is the connection, one of the connections he's given us to know him and to follow him. Jesus knew that prayer was, was not a substitute for action, that prayer was, was action. It's not a substitute for science because God is the giver and the maker of science. He's the, the God who's the giver of the law of Moses as well as the laws of physics. So we as believers believe that prayer actually does make a difference and it has a real impact in the world. So <clears throat> the question we have then today is, what happens when we pray? What are some of the real impacts of prayer? First of all, let me remind you, Jesus said in John 15, he said that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. There's a principle that abiding in Christ is very important when we pray. Knowing his word, understanding God's character and growing in that knowledge helps us have more effective prayers. So let's just look at a few points here about what prayer does. First of all, when we pray, <coughs> excuse me, when we pray, prayer aligns our hearts and our minds with the heart and the mind of God. Um, James says that if we lack wisdom, we can pray and ask for wisdom and it will be provided for us. Sometimes our desires, our motives are off and God wants to correct us through prayer and align our hearts with his. Sometimes he brings scripture to mind, some truth that we need to know that will help us better understand a situation or better respond to a situation. So prayer aligns our hearts and our minds with the, with the heart and mind of God. Prayer also helps us empathize and comfort those who are suffering. Prayer reminds us that we are to help others in times of their need. One thing I love about most Christians that I know is that when they offer thoughts and prayers, that's not all they're doing. A lot of times they're writing checks, they're showing up, they're volunteering, they're serving. So the outside world may see a tweet or a social media post as you're in my prayers and think that's a trite little response. But I know most people in the church are actually putting action behind that as well. And that's something we should be reminded of. Um, we also need to be reminded when we pray that Christ loved us in a sacrificial way. And when we pray, it reminds us of that great sacrificial love and we're to give that out to a hurting world. You know, one of the prayers that were offered at a prayer vigil for the victims of the shooting in Florida that really touched me was actually a prayer offered for the young man who committed the crime. You can see here's an actual image of the people gathered in this prayer vigil. And this prayer that touched me at the person leading the prayer actually said this. They said, we ask you, God, that you would intervene in his disturbed mind and show him the hope that only, you, that only can be found in you. We pray for your miraculous work to be evident in him, in spite of him. What's amazing to me is that prayer allows people in the midst of such tragedy and pain to not only pray for the victims who are hurting, but actually even pray for the, the offender. Because God has taught us that Christ died for everyone. And he desires redemption in every heart and every soul. The third thing I want to point out is prayer is a spiritual weapon against spiritual forces who oppose God and the, seek the destruction of his people and his kingdom. We see this in scripture in several places. Uh, one of the things that we see, Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 said this. He said, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in heavenly places. I know that sounds in our modern world difficult to grasp, but it's true. Scripture teaches that. Occasionally in Scripture, we'll see God peel back 
the layers of the, of the separation between us and him right now. And he shows us what's actually going on behind the scenes. One of those instances that came up was in Daniel chapter 10. I want to share this with you. It's pretty cool. Daniel had an issue that he was taking before the Lord. And after three weeks of prayer and fasting, he had, Daniel had a visitor, an encounter with a heavenly being in his vision. And this being showed up and he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I'm here to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Oh, my goodness. There are heavenly armies, basically, that are in some type of spiritual battle that we are occasionally given privilege to see, and our prayers make a difference. Daniel's prayers were powerful and effective. Our prayers are powerful and effective. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus called, said his house will be a house of prayers, because Jesus knows that we as his people are together and pray and be a force in the heavenly realms for the things that he is trying to do to advance his kingdom. The fourth thing I want to mention is that prayer also mysteriously moves the heart of God and sometimes changes his mind. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because this deserves probably a sermon series. God is sovereign. There's nothing that shocks or surprises him. We don't have power over God to manipulate him, to control him, to make him do our bidding. That is not the purpose of prayer. But God also gives us freedom and agency as his creatures. And he, is, he desires our prayers. And we see on occasion in scripture that the prayers of the saints, the faithful people, have actually moved God's heart to compassion, to consider circumstances. I don't understand the mysterious tension in that, but it's, it's, it's scriptural. And so that's one thing that we need to understand about the importance of prayer is it actually does impact God's heart and his mind. The final thing I want to say is this, that prayer brings glory to God and is received as an act of worship. In the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, the apostle John has given a vision of heavenly worship that is impacted by our prayers. And Jesus is found, he's found worthy to open a scroll. And when Jesus opens a scroll, if you, I'm going to show these verses up here on the, on the screen. We'll look at them together. Um, in verses, chapter 5, verses 8, it says this, And when he, as being Christ, had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on this earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. If you ever wonder if your prayers make a difference, 
I want you to picture that scene in heaven before the Lamb of God, the only one worthy to open the scroll because he gave his life for you and for me, for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. They will all confess him as Lord. And your prayers, my prayers will rise up to him as an offering of worship, like incense. They are a fragrant offering to the Lord. If you pray for someone's salvation, that prayer is going to be in there. If you've prayed for someone's healing, that prayer is going to be in there. If you pray for someone's protection or comfort in time of tragedy, that prayer will be in there as an act of worship. So if we gather today and as people and we struggle, if any of y'all struggle with the ideas, do your prayers really make a difference? I tell you they do. The word of God tells us that they do. And perhaps one of the places you can go to kind of rekindle your heart and your spirit towards prayer would be maybe the book of Psalms. It's perhaps the greatest book of prayers offered in our Bible. Believers of all type of situations praying before God, rescue me, help me, comfort me, give me strength, take down my enemies. They're all in there. So start there to be encouraged. And perhaps if you're someone who's skeptical of prayer and you think it's, you know, like the, the guy on the tweet earlier, it's, just, it's, it's worthless activity. Well, I want to encourage you. Find someone in your life who is a person of prayer, who sincerely prays, and just ask them, help me understand your experience about prayer. Let them share their story with you. And I believe that you will see there's more to the story than you might imagine. The last thing I want to do is I want to take a moment to collectively, if I'll lead us, but if we could all bow our heads, and I want to pray um, for our continued series in prayer and also for the people in Lakeland, Florida. So let's pray together as a body. Heavenly Father, we are humbled when we come before you and before your, your word, and we realize that the powers that you've given us as your followers are amazing. When we live by faith, when we abide in you, You've given us tools such as prayer to try to make a difference in this world. And you've shown us that this, these prayers do matter. Lord, as we go through this series on prayer, I pray for myself starting at first and foremost as an elder, Lord. Help me be more on fire for the power of prayer in my life and in the life of this church. I pray for our body that we would all become people of prayer, that we would recognize it's maybe the most important thing we can do every day before everything else starts. Let us come have a conversation with you. And finally, Lord, I pray for your, your comfort for those who are hurting and suffering in Florida. I pray, pray for wisdom for our nation, for our communities, for our people, that we may make the right actions and the right decisions to protect against violent acts. But Lord God, we know that we live in a fallen world. So I pray for your protection over us, that you would give us the perspective that this is not our eternal home. And that as we seek to make a difference in this world, we would first understand that we need to be preparing ourselves for our eternal life with you. So may you be glorified in all things, good and bad. Help us understand your great love for us and for this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, Brian, thanks so much, man. That was, uh, that was really incredible. Uh, in fact, I, there's not a lot that I could ever even add to that. Um, just I was sitting over there thinking, man, we should just not do anything past that. Let's just pray and go home. That was really, really good. But we're not going to. Um, Nathan, thanks for that, man. Um, 
I will say this, just, and if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. You can celebrate God's Word together. Turn there, Matthew chapter 6. But uh, as you're turning there and looking for that passage, I will say this. One of the things that I have learned, uh, just in regards to what Brian was talking about and how to pray, during times of crisis, um, when you can't be present in a moment, like in Florida, we can't be there with them today, and we couldn't be there right after the tragedy, but how we offer our thoughts and prayers to that community and to those people, and even this morning to pastors who will stand in pulpits in churches who are filled with grieving people and speak, is that we pray and we ask that Christians in the middle of tragedy and that pastors and that churches will do what only they can through the power of God to bring hope and love into a community. And so one of the ways that I've learned to pray over time when we have these national tragedies and instances is that we just ask God to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there, their boots on the ground, so to speak. And so if we can't be there to make an impact ourselves, we can pray for those who are. And because of the power that comes through the link that we have through God and our power through the Holy Spirit that connects us to our brothers and sisters all around the world, anytime we pray for brothers and sisters, for communities that are in times of crisis and in tragedy, we believe that God moves into that place through his people who are there. And so I would just encourage you as you think about how you pray in that same regard and what Brian said is so good, uh, just to, to consider that as well. Uh, well, we're considering Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 this morning, and we want to look at just one sentence in the Lord's Prayer. This is the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him, teach us to pray. And so literally, I'm going to read just a few words, and then we're going to talk through a lot that has to say, that Jesus has to say to us in that. And so we've been reading through this, and we'll come back and look at it in a minute. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus just says, give us today our daily bread. And so if you will, I want to ask you one more time just to pray with me as we jump into this message. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we're grateful, God, for your power, for your truth. We're thankful for your word that's at play in our lives and how it impacts us, how it changes us. And I pray that this morning as we study your word together that we'll understand more fully what you're saying to us through these simple words, through this one simple sentence, and how it can guide how we think about prayer. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit who's at work in this place. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love what Jesus says here, give us this day our daily bread, because this prayer means that we can go to God even with our smallest needs, even with the things that seem insignificant or unconsequential to us, Jesus gives us permission to come to him with those words and says, Jesus, today, will you give me my daily bread, my daily need for right now? Nothing is too small for God. And so we're going to see today what it looks like when we pray these prayers. We ask God for small things, which in reality, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, small things become really big things when you're asking for something like my next meal. God, I'm starving, I'm hungry, and I don't know where my next food is going to come from. If you're not hungry right now, that's not a big deal. But if you are starving right now and you're saying, I'm praying and asking for daily bread, that becomes a much bigger prayer, doesn't it? And so Jesus is basically saying there are lots of different types of prayers that you can pray, but one of the things that you can do in prayer is you can ask God for small daily needs. We're also going to look this morning at the fact that you can ask God for big, God-centered prayers. And then the third thing we're going to see is that we can ask God for audacious requests. 
And so I want us to just kind of dive into this this morning because as we're teaching this, we remember that Jesus in this model prayer, he says to his disciples, this is how you should pray. He doesn't necessarily say this is what you should pray. So when we take the Lord's Prayer, and I know if you've ever been on a sports team or involved in some kind of an activity, maybe this has been recited over and over and it's what you pray. But truly, Jesus says this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so when we see this, Jesus doesn't say, listen, when you sit down and pray, just pray this over and over and over and over again. But he says, this then is how you should pray. You can pray for these things. And we've already talked about your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, we, we're going to dive in this morning into this idea of how do we pray for these things in our life that we need. So prayer isn't just a way to communicate with God. Prayer is for our benefit. It keeps us dependent on the power of God to help us through every aspect of life. And if you're following along this morning and want to take some notes, or if you're on the YouVersion Bible app and you want to see some things that we're talking about, here's the first thing that I would say. The way we pray reveals our dependence on God. This whole thing is about prayers of dependence. And the way we pray reveals our dependence on God. Are you willing to say, I'm so dependent on God that even in a prayer like this, give us today our daily bread. This is how dependent I am on Jesus. That for everything I need in my life, I'm willing to put myself on my hands and knees before him and say, God, I need everything from you. Because I can't do anything. And so what we see then is that instead of praying for strategies, and the next blanks on your outline or if you're following along in the app, we don't pray for strategies to accomplish God's work. Prayer is the strategy. That when we start to think about the power of prayer, we're not saying, God, here's our strategy. Here's what we've devised. Here's what we've come up with. Now, will you come alongside this and bless it? We don't pray for God's blessings over our strategies. We're willing to say, God, prayer is my strategy. How am I going to get bread today? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to beg on the side of the street or I'm going to go and I'm going to try to get a job or I'm going to go and whatever it is. And he's saying, no, before you do any of that, all of that is good stuff. Make plans, have strategies. But prayer is the strategy. Those are things that come along and support you saying, God, I'm dependent on you to the point that I need everything from you, even the bread I'm going to eat today. So I'm praying, God, because that is the strategy. How do you deal with issues that you face in life? Are there things that you attempt to solve through your own wisdom, knowledge, power, resources? Or do you stop and pray first? Like at what point in life, when you're facing difficult things, does prayer become the first thing you ask for? I mean, think about places that you might have issues and struggles that you're asking God or need God to come into. Maybe there's marital struggles in your life. You go, okay, well, we'll go to counseling and we'll talk to friends and, and we'll get help and we'll read books together. And, and like, at what point do you go, you know what, the first thing we should do before we do those other things which are important is we should stop and we should pray and we should keep praying for our marital struggles. Your financial issues, the prodigal child in your home, health concerns that you have, the growth and unity of our church. What things do we find ourselves doing that we say, we've got plans in place for how we're going to make stuff better. And if those things don't work, then when we reach our end result, then we'll pray and we'll ask God because nothing else we were able to do worked. So now we'll ask God. And Jesus, I believe, is saying in this prayer, give us today our daily bread. Meet our needs today. 
I'm going to come to you in prayer first. It's going to be the strategy. It's going to be the most important thing that we do. Before we jump into these other issues, we're going to pray. And we're going to seek God for his power to come. So is prayer your first step or is prayer your last resort? We have to think through those things. So this morning, I want you to understand the next blink on your outline or the next thing you'll follow along with is that God is generous in the way he allows us to pray. Not limiting our prayers, but encouraging openness in every form of prayer. What I love about this is that I feel like Jesus in this passage is saying, there's nothing that's off limits for you to ask for. You can come to God with everything that he allows us to pray. He doesn't limit our prayers, but he encourages openness in our prayers. So we should pray, number one, we should pray about daily needs. That you have the ability to go to God and pray about daily needs. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Literally, nothing is too small to bring to God's attention. He is concerned about every aspect of your life. Did you know that? Maybe you've heard it, but maybe you don't really know it. And there's a difference between having heard something and knowing something. Do you know that God is concerned about the smallest things in your life? He loves you so much that he's concerned about the most insignificant, trivial things that you may seem like you have going on in your life. The Bible tells us that he knows every number of hairs on our head. That's how much God is aware of the details of who we are and what we're about. So when we think about prayer, nothing is too small to bring to God's attention. But many of us don't worry about where our next meal is coming from. So for us, this kind of seems like it's a foreign concept. But I can tell you as I've traveled around the world, and when we think about give us this day our daily bread, I've been in a lot of places where that's not just something that's a throwaway kind of prayer in the middle of the model prayer, but it's a real thing that people are saying, God, I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And I need you to provide for me that thing today. Because like I said a few minutes ago, the small insignificant things to us become really, really big things to other people when it's the most immediate need. And so if you've never been in that place where you said, God, I need you to provide the next bit of bread for me, the next crumbs that I'm going to eat. If you've never been in that place, then you need to understand that, that God is still very interested in knowing what your smallest needs are. Because the small things to me that are huge in your life that I may not find myself praying for, that you are praying for, that there is no judgmentalism that happens in the life of believers to go, oh, you're praying for that? Like that just seems like a normal kind of thing. For me, it might be, but for you, it may be huge. And Jesus is giving you permission to say, ask me today for the need you have. And I want to step out and meet that need. And I have the ability and the power to step out and meet that need. So Jesus invites us to pray about those daily needs and not hold back in asking for even the smallest things in life. There's a quote by a guy named Will Davis Jr. He said this, people reserve prayer for those high and mighty occasions when they've exhausted every possible human solution and prayer is all that is left to them. The truth is that they really don't want to invest prayer energy in things of seemingly little significance and they're missing spiritual blessings as a result. And I love that last line that he says, you're missing a spiritual blessing when you're not praying about the smallest thing. If you're not willing to invest prayer energy into the small things of your life, you're missing out on some great things because the little things we pray about become preparation for the bigger things that we'll pray about. 
Like if we learn to trust God in the little things and see him provide for the little things, how much more is it that we're going to be able to go to him when something big comes up in life and say, God, you've been so good to meet these little things in my life. Now, as my faith has grown and seen you meet these little needs, I have something a lot bigger now that I need to ask you for and trust you with. And because you've been so faithful to do these in the little things, I believe that I can come to you with this big thing. And so we learn to pray in faith through the little things, but we depend on God to meet our daily needs. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. This is why prayer is so important, why we stay connected to the vine, because he says, if you get apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't provide those daily things for yourself. You can't meet those daily needs. I'm the one who, when you're connected to, meets those needs in your life. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first thing we need to do is we need to ask God for the small daily things. The second thing that we should do is we should pray for big God-centered things that we pray and ask God for big, God-centered things. Uh, Jesus once told his disciples that he was going to return to the Father. He said, I'm going I'm to return to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you. And that kind of threw them into a little bit of a whirlwind because they didn't understand exactly what Jesus was talking about that left the disciples off balance. And, and so Thomas said to Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. So believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will be doing the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Man, this is a big God-centered type of prayer, right? Jesus gives us permission and says, you can ask me for anything in my name, and that's important. Because he says, the things that are aligned and attached with my name are the things that go along with my nature and my character. And we talked about this last week, and so if you missed that sermon, we're not going to rehash all of this. Go back and pick up the podcast on iTunes or our website. Check out the video. Um, but when we see this, essentially Jesus is telling us to pray for the things that line up with his will, with his plan, and with his nature. And so when Jesus says, you can pray and ask for whatever you want in my name. That doesn't mean you're going, okay, God, I want a Rolls Royce in the garage when I get home this afternoon. In Jesus' name. Like, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything, right? But if you start to go, you know what, God? I want to see my neighbors saved by the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Well, guess what Jesus tells us his will is? It is my will that everyone would come into faith. 
So you can pray that kind of prayer in Jesus' name because it lines up with his will, his nature, his character. So we begin to pray in Jesus' name. So praying in God's will often means that the things we pray for that he's told us fit within his will we find in Scripture. And we talked about that last week. Pray for the salvation of the lost. Pray for sanctification in your life in areas where you struggle with sin. Pray for power to persevere in your faith. All of these things are things in Scripture that God says, these are the things I want. It's my will that these things happen. So pray confidently, big God-centered things. God, bring salvation to the city of Kingsport. We can pray big God-centered things because he's told us in his word, it's my desire that this city knows who I am and that people come into faith in Christ. So we can pray those kinds of things. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 John writes and says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Can you imagine being that confident to go to God? Go, whatever I ask, because I know it's in your will, I have confidence to know you want to answer that prayer. So I am perfectly fine to come in and ask for some big things. Because you tell us what we can ask for in Scripture. Now, that goes back to something I said in the very first week of this series as well. God doesn't have to answer your, your prayers the way you want him to. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not some magical spirit out there that we can just control and make him conform to our desires. There are things we can pray and ask for that he would tell us line up within his will, and it still not may be his individual specific will for a certain person or for a certain situation. And so there are still things where we wrestle in this tension of going, God, you tell me I can ask for this, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to answer that question. And if you hear that statement, you go, there you go, pastor. That's the scapegoat thing of not putting God into a corner. It's not a scapegoat thing. It's an omniscience thing. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He knows what is right and what is best for his creation, and he will do what is right and best first for his glory and then for our good. And so when we pray and ask these things, like Brian talked about earlier, there may be prayers that God doesn't answer. It doesn't mean that you prayed outside of his will. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It just means that he had a different plan to accomplish a much bigger will than you could ever imagine. And so we can rest in that. Here's the third and the last thing. We should make audacious asks in prayer. We should make some audacious asks. And so listen to what Jesus actually said in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. So just imagine this. Somebody comes and knocks on your door at midnight and starts asking for, I don't know, like fajitas or something like that, okay? And so that's the situation we find ourselves in. And he says, a friend of mine is on a journey and he's come and shown up late and I have no food to offer him. Verse seven, suppose the one inside the house answers, don't bother me. <laughs> I, I can't get up and give you anything. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. And Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So which of you fathers, 
If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, he'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus says, listen, you need to ask with shameless audacity. Coming to God with some prayers is like going to your neighbors at midnight and banging on their door and going, will you give me some food for a guest who just showed up? And that word audacity, I love how it's defined in our English language. It's to be extremely bold or daring, to have reckless bravery, or to be fearless. And so Jesus says, you can go to the Father with shameless audacity, with boldness, with fearlessness, with extreme daring, that you can go to the doors of heaven and knock and say, God, here's what I would like you to do for me. And I want you to notice, initially, the guy says, hey, don't, stop knocking on my door. You need to go away. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I'm not getting up to open the door. But that word shameless audacity, it also can be, uh, some of your translations of your Bible might say, um, it might say shameless persistence. That the audacity part is that it's a consistent, persistent knocking. I'm just going to keep knocking. And he goes, your guy is not going to come open the door because he's your friend. But if you keep knocking and he's worried that you're going to wake up the kids or the neighbors, he's going to come answer. He's going to get out of bed, and he's going to come answer. So don't just be shamelessly audacious. Be shamelessly persistent. In other words, the things that you pray, if God is not initially answering your prayers, keep asking. He gives you permission to do that. Be shamelessly audacious and persistent in the way you pray. Because you never know what's going on in the spiritual realms. And I love what Brian said earlier. When it concerned Daniel and he began praying for an answer to a vision that God had given to him, he prayed for three and a half weeks and no answer came, but he kept praying, he kept praying. And then when the angel of God showed up, he told Daniel, he revealed some things to him. He goes, I was dispatched on the first day of your prayers, but there was a spiritual battle that I couldn't get through to get to you until God dispatched Michael, the archangel, to come and fight for me and with me, and then I was able to come. See, we have no idea what's going on beyond this physical world that we can see. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place all around us, and as we pray, there are times, perhaps, that God doesn't answer our prayers immediately because he's still trying to get the news to us through the spiritual battle that's going on all around. So keep praying. Have shameless audacity. Be persistent in the things that you pray about. Jesus told another story about a persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He said, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. So there's this woman who's had an unjust thing done to her, and she keeps coming to the town judge and saying, Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And so listen to what happens next, verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, who is just, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that phrase, will he find faith on the earth, I think Jesus is referring to this idea of persistence. When Jesus comes back, will he find us still on our hands and knees praying and crying out for his justice to be done in this world? Praying and crying out for him to come, for him to return. Or have we gotten so comfortable here that we're like, God, we want you to come back. And we prayed that prayer once and you didn't do it. And so, okay, well, then we'll just go about our day. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find people who are persisting in prayer, who are knocking and knocking and knocking? Jesus is curious if our faith in him is great enough to cause us to look for him to help in times of trouble or if we'll trust him to bring justice or if we're just going to immediately give up when he, answered, when he doesn't answer initially. And some people, and I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, Brian and I didn't talk a whole lot about what we were going to do, but um, we're going to disagree with one another for a second. And so um, he can take me to lunch later and apologize. But um, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's pretty cool that we can be in a place where we can see some things differently. And I don't necessarily know that we disagree as much as we may just have a different perspective on some of this. But I want to touch on something that he said uh, in the idea of when we pray and we ask for things over and over and over again, does God change his mind? And, and my answer to that question would be a little bit different than the way it was presented initially this morning, but that it's not that God changes our, his mind as much as persistent prayer causes us to change our heart. And so we start to, through persistent prayer, line up our hearts with the hearts of God. And so as we pray, we start to see things from a different point of view. The point is not that in continuing to ask, we change God's mind, but that he's using this persistence to change our hearts. I love what David Guzik said in his commentary. He said, God often waits for our passionate persistence in prayer. It isn't that God is reluctant and needs to be persuaded. Our, persistent doesn't, our persistence doesn't change God. It changes us, developing in us a heart and a passion for what God wants. And so the best illustration that I could give to you in this from Scripture would be Moses. And God comes to Moses, and Moses at one point in time had just told God, look, these people that you've had me lead out of, out of uh, Egypt, they're wicked, they're terrible, they're not going to follow you or do anything. Why don't you just destroy them and let's just start over? He had asked God for that. And God said, no, no, we're not going to do that. That's not my plan. These are my people, my chosen. I've got a covenant with them. Well, then later on, when the sinfulness continues over and over and over, God comes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to destroy them all. And at that point in time, Moses starts praying to God and says, whoa, God, wait a minute. I, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God. I want to intercede for these people of yours because, God, don't forget they're your covenant people. You've made promises to them. You've had dealings with them. They're your people. They're your voice into the world. They're the way you're going to change the world. God, these are your people. Please, God, don't destroy them. And then the Bible says, and then God relented. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God change his mind because Moses prayed? Or did God use that as a way to go, hey, Moses, do you remember a little bit earlier you wanted to kill them all? And now when I told you I would, you started looking at it and going, wait a minute, God, this may not be such a good idea after all. <laughs> because you're faithful and you're a covenant God and you're a redeeming God and you're, you're a good God. And so was God changing his mind or was God helping Moses to change his heart? See, I think when we persist in prayer, it starts to do that in us, that it changes our heart to align with God's will. And so that may just be a little bit of a different way of saying it. I don't, think that, that, I don't think Brian was wrong in what he said. I just think that it's a, a different perspective that we take on this. 
that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet he changes us to be more like him as we go through this life. And so as we pray and we consist in prayer, I want us to focus on the things that God says in this last passage about being shamelessly audacious because he talks about gifts. He says, so if you as fathers, as wicked parents, can give good gifts to your children, how much more is God going to give good gifts? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to think about that for just a minute because this idea of giving good gifts, when God answers our audacious asks, he's giving us gifts because he's a loving father. And so when we come to him and we go, God, I'm going to persist in prayer. I'm going to make this big, giant, bold ask. He is okay with that because he's a good father. Bold prayers, Mark Batterson says, bold prayers honor God and God answers and honors bold prayers. So we need to have a powerful biblical view of God that nothing is too difficult for him. And then the last thing that I want to start to, to wrap up with is this. That Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah writes and says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So ask God for big things. Ask him for audacious things. And so I want to give you a few things that we as a church leadership are beginning to ask God for and have been talking about for the past couple of months. And we've been waiting till this series to start to roll some things out to you because we want to invite you to start asking God of some things that we're asking. And so if I could just give you a few things that we're, we're starting to ask God for. And I believe that we need to ask God for specifics so that we know how he answers and so I'll just tell you this. You may disagree with what we're asking for. You may not like what we're asking for, but I'm going to tell you what we're asking for, and we're going to invite you to pray with us in some of these things. The first thing that we're doing, we're asking God, because we believe that he's a life-changing God, we want to see him change the life of this church and continue to build and grow this church. So we're asking God that he would give us 100 new people attending this church in this year. We average attendance about 200 right now. We're asking and praying that God would put us in a place where we would have the ability to have influence in 300 people's lives in our community this year. And if you go, wow, that seems like a really selfish prayer. Well, let me tell you the second part of the prayer. We're asking not that these are people who leave one church and come to ours. We're asking for God to bring us unchurched people. In fact, we're praying specifically that God would allow us to see 20 salvations and baptisms this year. That's about double than what we've had in the last three years. And so we're asking God to give us life change that will come. And so we want to ask you to start praying that 20 salvations and baptisms happen this year. As God brings growth and brings new people into our church, that also means that we need new life group leaders. We're praying and asking for 10 new life group leaders to come out of our body. People that would say, I want to disciple others and I want to lead them to know and follow Christ and to trust him in everything. The next thing we're asking for, we made the announcement a couple of weeks ago and was talked about again this morning, that we've now purchased this building. We're excited about what God has done to make that available. We're going to give you some more details about some of those things coming up soon. But, uh, but here's what we're asking for. We currently have a 15-year fixed mortgage on the building. But we're going to ask God that through the generosity of his people that we pay off our debt in five years. And that as we get out of debt, that frees us up to do even more things for God in the world and in our community, to free up money that won't go to a building, but it'll go out into missions and ministry. And so we're asking God to help us pay off this debt in five years. And then the last thing that we're praying for is a 2020 mission. And this isn't new to our church family, but I've challenged us as a church body to be on mission with Jesus, that everyone in our church goes on a mission trip by the year 2020, whether that's local, national, or international. 
And so we're praying and asking God to send us out as a church family, to find your way of serving and connecting. As a church, we're about helping people trust and follow Jesus. And we believe that we are disciples who are called to make disciples. And so all of these things get filtered into that idea in that area of saying we want to be a disciple-making church. We want to reach the lost. We want to see people's lives changed. We want to grow communities. We want to grow our volunteer ministry teams here. And we want to see people engaged and plugged in to serve in the community and in our church. And so here's the last thing, the action step for this morning. When we pray, when you pray, ask God for specific things so that you know when and how he's answered your prayer. And then the second part of that is record your prayer and see how God responds in the future. So when you begin to pray about some things, make them specific, not general. So it's one thing to say, God, I'm having a hard time making rent this week. Could you provide rent money for me? And you get 20, 20 bucks in the mail and you think, okay, well, was that for rent or was that for something else? It's another thing to go to God and say, God, my rent is $631.72. Could you provide that for me? And to get a check in the mail for $631.72. Then you look at that and go, that was pretty specific and God specifically answered it. Wow, that is huge. That lets me know that was a God thing, right? And so pray in specifics and record your prayers so that you can look back and see how God has answered them. The more general our prayers are, the less likely we are to know if God truly answered them. Greg Pruitt said this, God wants to build our faith, but if we make it difficult, uh, but if we make that difficult, uh, excuse me, I'm going to start over. God wants to build our faith, but if we make, but we make that difficult if we don't give him the chance to dazzle us with his omnipotence. Right, and so God's looking to build our faith. Will we trust him? Will we follow him? Will we pray small things that are daily needs? Will we pray for big God-centered things? And will we pray? audacious prayers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you. And God, we just give you glory and honor this morning because you are worth it, because your value has no end. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help to continue to, to shape us and guide us and move us as a, as a people, as individuals and as a church in how we pray and in what we pray for and in what we see you doing in our lives and through our lives. And so, God, we just pray and ask that you would show us how to move forward in our faith, to be people who will trust you with every single need we have, who will be unafraid to ask you for big things, and who will be unashamed to persistently knock asking for audacious requests. God, nothing is impossible for you. We believe that. And so we're going to ask in that vein, according to your will and your ways. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.